0: Amen. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. It's going to be fun. Let's, we, I'm so excited this morning. We are starting off a new series on someone that is, besides Jesus, my favorite person in the Bible to study. Yes, I'm being a little selfish with this, but it's because the, the life of Joseph is so rich with all sorts of different lessons and things that we can learn and glean from his life and apply to our own life. Though his life took place thousands of years ago, everything that he walked through is true and applicable to us today. And so what we're going to do over these next few weeks is just take our time, get right in the scripture, and just read through his story and talk about his life and what that means for us today. And so What I want to do today is talk about the messes of our life. And specifically, a certain type of mess. Because we like to think sometimes that circumstances are what bring messes into our life. That it's the the circumstances around us that cause messes. But really, it's not circumstances, it's people that cause messes in our life most of the time, right? And it's usually, on top of that, not strangers, that causes messes in our life. It's people that we have close relationships with, people that we love a lot of times. And even more than that, it's family. And we're gonna talk about family this morning. Oh, I can just sense the excitement in the room, all right? We're gonna talk about family this morning because family can cause all sorts of hurts in our lives. It can damage our hearts, where we walk around with scars and wounds because of family. And here's the thing about family, We're connected to family, right? Whether we like them or not, we are connected to our family. They are literally a part of us and our bloodline. And so the hurts that happen through family hurt a little bit more than people that aren't in our family because we're connected to them. And so what I want to do today is address that. And here's something that first, right off the bat, that we need to understand is the devil loves to tell us when it comes to family issues, and I'm trying my best not to say family matters for all those that grew up in the 90s. Um, but those family issues that we have, he loves to tell us that we are the only ones that have family issues, that have a dysfunctional family, that every other family, they love to get together for Thanksgiving, right? They love to sit around a table and talk about politics, right? They love Christmas dinner, and they, don't, they just want to stay there the whole time. They're not looking for the door the second they walk in the house. Just my family, Right that's what the devil wants to tell us that we are alone in this in our dysfunctional family and everybody else is the parchers family and the brady bunch right and it's not true it's it, it's it's almost it's so not true that it's if it without with the risk of sounding insensitive it's actually laughable to think about that Something that happened a lot in our impact groups in this last session is someone would bring up an issue or or a topic or something that they were struggling with and and you could almost sense in their voice like, man, I'm just going through something and this is the only, I'm the only one. And as the discussion continued to go and everyone began to share, it was like, no, I, I know what you're talking about. I've walked in this, I'm walking through this now. I can relate to you in this way and that way and that and the other. And it's true with family as well. And we don't have to look any further. Don't take my word for it, all right? All we have to do is look in the word of God to see how dysfunctional families really are. And you know what else? We don't have to go far, all right? We don't have to go the halfway through the Bible or maybe into the New Testament. You know what we have to do? We have to go to the first couple pages. The first ever family was the first ever dysfunctional family. Think about that for a second. We made it one family, one right off the bat. They were dysfunctional before they even had kids. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, you know what they did? They threw each other on the bus. Her fault, his fault, uh, not my fault, right? And then they do have kids, right? They have Cain and they have Abel. What happens there? Murder! Murder happens in the very first family ever. On a side note, it just goes to show you how we are born into sin, and sin is in us at the very first family didn't have to be taught how to kill their brother. That's a, that's a different sermon for another day. But you might have come to a point where, with your family, you say, "Oh, I just want to kill them. They drive me so crazy. I just want to kill them." Cain said, "I'm going to kill him." I did kill him. But it doesn't stop there. It's everywhere in the Bible. Abraham had sons from two different women, and here's the kicker: it was his wife's idea. Noah gets drunk and naked. His son laughs at him. He, Noah curses his son. Esther's an orphan, doesn't even have parents. David's son killed his other son because the other son raped his sister. That's the dysfunctional families of the Bible. It's, the, the stories are so crazy that if it were a drama on TV, it would be like season three or four you know, where you're starting to think, okay, they've done everything with these characters, and now they're just, they're, this is ridiculous. And you tune out, because the storylines are so absurd that you just can't buy in anymore. Like, I guess i looking for something else to watch. Y'all know what I'm talking about with that? That's like, I mean, that's what these stories in the Bible are like. They're so outlandish and so crazy that if they weren't in the Bible, you, we would think that they were unbelievable. But that's what families a lot of times are like. There's dysfunction in them. And you, listen, you are not alone in it. And so this morning, my prayer, honestly, my prayer has been for this this morning. And what we're talking about is that there would be deliverance, that there would be healing, and a lot of heavy and hurt hearts today over what is going on in your families, in your home. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just pray for that right now, Lord, that you would bring healing to the hearts of those that are hurting because of family issues, because of dysfunction in the family, Lord. God, we just pray for that right now, Lord. Set them free. Break chains, Father. Whatever you have to do, give us ears to hear, Lord. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And here's the thing about all these people that I just mentioned. You know, Abraham was the father of many nations. Noah built an ark. David was one of the greatest kings that ever lived. Esther saved the Jews from being wiped off the face of the earth. All of them, every single one, and more so, had dysfunctional families, and they still went on to do amazing, amazing things. God used them. Listen, y'all. God used them in spite of their families. Are you listening to me? Are you hearing me this morning? God will use you, wants to use you, despite what's going on in your family situation. And not just use you a little bit, but for big and awesome things. And the story of Joseph is a great one, but I don't believe that you can appreciate just how amazing Joseph's life was without understanding his family situation first. You were going to appreciate his life less if you don't get what he was living through with his family. And isn't it amazing? Don't raise your hands on any of this thing. But but when you know of somebody... And then you learn about their family, like how you appreciate them more, or maybe how you look at them differently, where you might judge them right off the bat because, oh, they're this way, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden you hear about maybe how they grew up, you hear about how their parents treated them, or the situation in their house now. You go, oh, wow, okay, I didn't know that. It's amazing how when we learn about each other's families, how that changes our perspective of people. Because we get it. Family issues. Family is so impactful on us. Sometimes for the good and sometimes for the not so good. But I'm here to tell you, God is in it all. He is in it all. So what I want to do this morning is I actually want to go backwards. Okay, I want to look not at Joseph. I want to look at his dad. I want to look at Jacob this morning. And I'll be honest with you all. As much as I love the story of Jacob, I mean of Joseph, I am not a fan of Jacob. I, I've read through the, the life of Jacob, and I'm, I, every time i like, God, I don't understand. What did this guy have that was so good that you put him in the Bible? Surely there was other men and women living in this time that you could have highlighted in your word. This dude is, is not cool. I don't like him. Right? But we need to understand where he came from, too. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going we're to look at Genesis chapter 21. I mean, sorry, I'm, excuse me, Genesis 27, starting in verse 1. Genesis 27, starting in verse 1. It says, One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son? Yes, father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, Isaac said, And I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Verse 5. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. Okay, last week it was, was Easter Sunday, and we talked about punctuation. If y'all weren't here you missed it, we talked a little bit about punctuation in the Bible. All right, today we're going to continue that and talk a little bit about grammar. We're going to talk about possessive pronouns <laughs> in these verses because it's huge. It's huge. And I read through this and it just popped off the page. The Holy Spirit just put a, put a spotlight on verse 5. And I want to go back and I want to read that. And listen to what Rebekah, Joseph's grandmother, Jacob's mom, says in verse 5. She says, But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, so, Rebecca here sees Esau as Isaac's son, and she sees Jacob as her son. Yikes, right? That's crazy. And it's right here. So, Esau is dad's, Jacob is mine. And then it goes on to say that she says, Do exactly as I tell you. All right? This is mom telling son, You are going to do exactly as I say. And so in these few little verses here, Jacob, Joseph's dad, before Joseph's even born, before he's even a thought, learns two very important and destructive lessons. And the first one is favoritism. And the second one is deception. Jacob learns from his mom what it means to favor one child over another. Then he also learns how to be deceptive among family. And here's a spoiler alert. We will see this come into play in Joseph's life as well. But Jacob, his dad, learns that from his mom, all because she, she views the two, of the, the two sons, Esau and Jacob, as different. And here's the result. Here's the fruit of this favoritism and this deception within Jacob's family. Continuing on in verse 41 of Genesis 27. It says, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebekah heard about Esau's plan, so she sent for Jacob and told him, listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So the result of favoritism, the result of deception within the family is hatred among the family. To the point where now Esau, and and listen, even Esau, even Esau says is is planning and plotting deceptive things. Listen, when my dad dies, I'm going to kill him. To the point where Rebecca says that's actually how he's comforting himself. Esau, it feels so robbed by his mom and his brother, his twin brother, by the way, that he is plotting to kill his own brother, all because of the mom. And I just want to—I want to say this to all of us in here. Your parents are imperfect people, and we don't like to think about that. I still don't like to think about that, and I don't want my girls to think about—you know—think of me like that. But I think we can all go back to that day, or maybe even that time of our life, where suddenly that light bulb goes off, and like, oh, my parents aren't perfect. They have their own issues. They have their own things that they're going through. And we see that here. But we like to think and we want so badly for our parents to be perfect in how they parent us when truthfully they are not. And Rebecca was far, far from perfect in Genesis 27 and how she parented Jacob. And the fruit of that wasn't just in this moment Esau hating and trying to kill Jacob. But it goes on and carries into Jacob's family, down onto Joseph. And we'll get to that in a second. But we have to understand that our parents aren't perfect. And it's hard to understand that sometimes. It's hard to grasp that when, when they hurt us and when, they, when, they, when they, they rob us in a lot of ways, in all sorts of different ways. But they're not perfect, and they need Jesus just as much as we do. So I want to just put this out there for you this morning. If you have an issue with your parents... If you have hurts with them that have made you sound like Esau in this moment, pray for them. Pray for them. Because they need Jesus just as much as we do. And they are imperfect just like we are. Even though we want them not to be. And check this out. We're going we're to look in, in the next chapter, in chapter 28 real quick. Because listen to what happens to Jacob with everything that's going on in his uh, in his life based on how he's been parented. And Miss Helen, we're going to skip down to verse 14, actually. We don't need to read um, verses 10 through 13. We're just going to skip down to Genesis 28, starting in verse 14. And it says, this is God talking to Jacob, giving him this promise. He says, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north in the south and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants what's more i am with you and i will protect you wherever you go one day i will bring you back to this land i will not leave you until i have finished giving you everything i have promised you that is the promise of god over jacob and this is what's crazy listen to jacob's response all right remember jacob is a schemer right he likes to make deals Because of his upbringing, he probably has a lot of trust issues. And this is what he says in reply to God, promising him these things. Verse 20, then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Do you hear the tone of Jacob's response? If God does this for me and if he does that for me and if he does that the other, then he will be my God. God just told him what he was going to do to him. I will do this. I will do that. I will do... Basically what God is saying, he's saying, look, Jacob, I will be your father. That's what he's saying. That's the promise that he's making. And Jacob goes, yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. If you do all these things, then you'll be my God. Trust issues. He doesn't believe God, and so he feels like he's got to make a deal with God. And I'm going to say this this morning. Whatever your family situation is like, do not confuse it with how God parents you. Do not feel like you have to make a deal with God. Ever. If he says he's going to do something for you, he's going to do it to the point where when Jacob said this, you know what God did? He did it anyway. He prom- the, pr- the things that he promised over, he did for Jacob. He didn't go, oh, I see how it is. You want, me to, you want to prove me, huh? He doesn't back out of his promise just because of Jacob's response. God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And his promises over you are yes and Amen. It doesn't matter what your family situation is like. It doesn't matter what you were taught by your parents or how imperfect they might be over you, church. Listen, I'm telling you, you need to stop that and understand that God is your father and he has promises over you that are yes and amen. You can trust him. All right, you can trust him. You really can. And I know there's some of us in here that have been struggling with trust. You've been struggling with trust in your life, and I just please hear me this morning. You can trust God as your father. He will keep his promises to you. He always, always does. All right. Check this out. We're going to skip to Genesis 33, and the story of of, of Jacob continues. Some of y'all might relate to Jacob a little bit. Some of you might be relating to Esau a little bit more at this point, where you do feel like you've been robbed by your family. Where you're not the favorite, where you've been deceived and lied to, and you feel like you should have this and that. And I'm not talking about like material things, I'm just, I'm just talking about love. I mean, with everything that Esau lost and that blessing that he missed out from his dad, I believe what hurt him more than anything is the betrayal that he felt from his mom and his brother. Like, wait a second, what about me? Why would you do that to me? I'm, aren't I your son too? Aren't I your, your brother? Why would you do that to me? So more than the blessing of whatever was blessed over Jacob, what what Esau was robbed of was the love of his family. And boy, let me tell you, that hurts, especially when another child gets that love. That hurts, and that is hard. But remember, God is faithful. And he says in Genesis 33, starting in verse 5, then Esau looked at the women and children. So what's happening here, just for some context, is Jacob is going to meet Esau for the first time after he stole his blessing from him. Jacob ran, and now it's time to meet again. And just so you know, Jacob's freaking out. He thinks Esau's going to kill him, rightfully so. And so this is what's happening. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant. Jacob replied, then the servant wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. Next came Leah with her children, and they bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what were all the flocks and herds I met as I came? Esau asked Jacob, and Jacob replied, they are a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. Here he is bargaining, trying to make a deal again. They are a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. Verse 9, my brother, this is what Esau replies, I have plenty. Keep what you have for yourself. Isn't that amazing? Jacob supposedly stole from Esau. Now Esau's looking at Jacob and saying, I don't want anything you have. You keep that for yourself. I have more than enough. That is how God operates in our lives. Though your family or people around you may have tried to steal from you whatever that might look like, God said, don't worry, I got this. And I have more than enough enough. For you, I have more than enough for you. So when that moment comes, you don't have to be jealous. You don't have to look and say, Oh, that should have been mine. That should have been mine. I deserve that. Because when you walk with the Lord, you say, I got everything I need. You keep that for yourself. I'm the blessed one here. I'm the blessed one. You see, because up until that point, Esau went and he lived his life, and Jacob did too, but Jacob was tormented. He was totally tormented. You read about the life of Jacob and see what deceit and deception, all that stuff looks like. I don't want to live Jacob's life. I don't want to go to my uncle's house, work for seven years, and have my uncle fool me, and then me fool my uncle, and all this stuff. I mean, you you start operating like that, and you hear all these voices. And these voices say, when you go meet your brother, he's going to try and kill you. When in reality, the brother just wants to hug you and love you. When we operate in deception like that, that's what happens. Oh, the voices, they run rampant, don't they? All right, so now we're going to fast forward to the life of Joseph, and we're going to skip over some things in Jacob's life we could spend all day on. We're going to skip over the fact that Joseph's brothers went into a town because Jacob's daughter was raped. Jacob didn't do anything about it. And so the brothers took it upon themselves to go into this town There's a guy named Shechem, and they basically, to make a long story short, it's a really cool story, by the way, Genesis 34, if you want to read it. By cool, I mean like kind of weird and crazy. Uh, They wipe out this entire town. Wipe them out. And Jacob's response was, oh, you brought so much trouble on me by doing this, by defending your daughter who was raped, my daughter who was raped. Forget about all that. Well, we're going to come into Joseph's life, and this is how we meet Joseph. Joseph has just been given a richly ornamented robe by his dad, which screams, favoritism! I love him more than I love all of you! All right, And what it also symbolizes is nobility. Jacob gives Joseph this robe of nobility that says this. This is the hidden message in this, maybe not that hidden. While all the other sons are out there working in the field, you get to stay home with me. You're different. You're set apart. You don't have to work. They do. And on top of that, here's some great parenting 101. Jacob has Joseph, go check on the boys. Make sure they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. And then report back to me. In other words, I'm, giving, I'm actually asking you to be a tattletale. Do that for me. That is the parenting that Joseph inherits from his dad. Favoritism. And this is what it says, y'all. And this is the meat of what I want to talk about this morning. Genesis 34, starting in verse... Oh, sorry, gosh, Genesis 37, starting in verse 4. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Couldn't say a kind word to him. They hated him. What does, that, does that sound familiar? Sounds a little bit like Esau hating Jacob, right? And then we see it again. It's passed down from one generation to the next. These brothers, they hated Joseph. But here's the thing. Jacob, he, he understood that hatred. He lived in that. So rather than trying to come and say, hey, guys, we got to come together. He's like, yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's family, right? And he doesn't do anything about it. Because that's how he was raised as well. Because how he was parented by Joseph's grandmother. And so these brothers, they couldn't say a kind word to him. But here, here's what's awesome. God said, well, let's, let's, the very next verse, y'all. The very next verse, after these brothers hate Joseph. And when I say hate, I mean with every fiber of their being, with everything that that word hate means, they hated Joseph. And it says that they couldn't say a kind word to him. And then here comes the next verse. This is where the Bible is so amazing and so incredible. The very next verse, verse 5, says this. One night, Joseph had a dream. One night, Joseph had a dream. So after learning that the brothers hated him with everything that they were and they wouldn't even talk to him, every word that came out of the mouth was hateful. And he felt separated from them. He felt rejected by them, by none none of his own doing, all because his dad parented him that way because of what his dad learned from his mom. Joseph is on an island in this huge family alone. And the next verse says, Joseph had a dream. Here's what that means, y'all. God is saying, your brothers won't talk to you. That's okay. I will. I will. They're not going to say a kind word to you oh, I got a lot of kind words I want to say to you. Your family and you might have a huge divide, a huge gap where you feel like for, if they were paid all the money in the world, they could never say a kind word to you. Whatever it is, it is not in their makeup. They just can't get it out of their mouths. They can say it to everybody else around them. Maybe your sibling, maybe your aunt and uncle, whoever, maybe it's the neighbor down the street. But for whatever reason, they can't say something nice to you. God will. He says all sorts of nice things about you as our heavenly father. And he had a dream. Right after that, God says, I got a dream to give you, Joseph. I want to say some things to you. I want to impart some things to you. Right in the middle of this huge mess that Joseph is in with his family, dysfunction galore all over the place. God says, I got a dream for you. And here's the remarkable thing. Joseph didn't go run and hide, leaving his brothers. He didn't go cry in a corner. He didn't wad up his coat of many colors and throw it in in his dad's face or anything like that. He had the dream, and here's what he did. He believed it. He believed the dream that God gave him to the point where he, probably not the best idea, but he actually goes and he tells all his brothers about it. Hey, one day y'all are going to bow down to me. Love you. Favorite. Favorite probably not smart but he believed it so much that he wanted to profess what god had told him in the middle of all this dysfunction god spoke to him and he believed it and i believe that there's many of us in here this morning that have stopped dreaming that have stopped listening to the voice of the lord because of hurts because of a hard heart because of rejection over either family or those close to us. And you say you, you sound a lot more like Jacob than you do Joseph. That when God says a promise over you, you say, yeah, okay, if you do this and if you do that, then, you, then you'll be my God. But you're going to have to prove yourself to me a little bit first. Rather than just saying, okay, God, you gave me a dream, I believe it. And it's hard to do that when we're so hurt by people, especially those that we are connected with. But you've got to listen. You've got to listen to the things that God is saying. And so I want to just have the band come back up. And we're going we're gonna to close with a time of worship. In prayer this morning. And you know, this week, we've had um, some discussions here, you know, in our office. Um, just about what it would be like if we treated every Sunday like Easter Sunday. You know, what if we did that? What if we came into church every Sunday with the readiness and the want to celebrate like we just did last week? Because truthfully, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is a day that we celebrate Jesus dying for us and being ro- risen again. You want to you hear the ultimate dysfunctional family? This is the ultimate. I don't think it gets any worse than this. When a father kills his, his only son to adopt new children who will never love him the way that his actual son does. That is dysfunctional. That doesn't make any sense. That is irrational. But that's what God did when he killed Jesus for us. He adopted us in. And so though your family may be dysfunctional, I've adopted you into my family. I'm telling tell you something right now. It ain't dysfunctional. I'm a perfect father, and I have a place for you. I have a seat for you. I have at the table to eat and feast with me in heaven for the rest of eternity because I love you. And so as hard as it might be, you need to understand that your family issues do not trump what I feel about you. They do not supersede in any way, shape, or form what I want to do with you. Because I have dreams for you as well. And y'all, come on. You got to open your ears. This is for you. Don't sit there and think that this message is for the person next to you. I don't care how hard your life is, you're not going to get sold into slavery. God wants to say some things to y'all. And it's time that we just open our hearts and let those things out. He wants to heal you, and he wants to remind you of who you are in him, that you are not rejected, that you are not uh, less favored over anyone else. God is not a respecter of persons. He loves you the exact same way as he loves everybody else. He died for all of us. Jesus died for all of us. And he knew that we needed a better family than what we were gonna be given here on earth. He said, that's okay. I'm a really, really, really good father. I'm a perfect father. Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6 says, says, He's the father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Is your family dysfunctional? God has family for you. We are a family here at Beaches Chapel. Are we? You know what? We're dysfunctional too. We're not perfect, but we love Jesus, and we're committed to walking together. This is your family. We are walking together in all of this. This is the Lord's home. This is your home. Home might not have the the best connotation to you. You might hear the word home and think back to your childhood or how you grew up. I don't want to go back to that home. This is a new home. This is God's house. You're placed in a new family. This is, I'm going to close with this. Psalms 91, starting in verse 1. It says, You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. Say this, God, you're my refuge. I trust in you, and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. And this is the part that I love the most. His huge, outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing, not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. God in his massive arms wants to embrace you. We used to sing the song in youth group, wrap your arms around me. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to wrap his arms around you. Are you hurting Are you hurting? Do you feel rejected? Do you feel dismissed? Or maybe you had a great family, but you don't anymore. God has these massive arms, y'all. These massive, loving, protective, providing arms. And he's just waiting to wrap his arms around you. And he wants to tell you this morning, look, it's okay, I've got you. I sent my son to die on the cross so that you could have me as your father. I heard a pastor say this week, he was asked, you know, what do you, what do you tell people that are just scared right now? That in this, in this world that we're living in, what do you tell them to make them feel okay? And his answer was so simple, but it was so profound. He said, I tell them, if Jesus rose from the dead, it's gonna be okay. If Jesus rose from the dead, then it is going to be okay. Is it gonna be hard at times? Yes, but it's gonna be okay we serve a God who is greater and who loves you so much. Don't equate the love of man with God's love for you. Don't equate your dysfunctional family with how God feels about you, because the message this morning, if you'll just hear it, is trust him. He loves you. Trust him. You can dream. Trust him. He's got you. Trust Him. You are are so loved by the Most High God. You're so loved. Don't let what other people have done in your life rob you of how God feels about you. Please don't do that. That is is a great victory of the enemy. He wants to tell you this morning that He loves you. So let's stand. And I I didn't plan on doing this. We're going to do this anyway. We're going to open up the altar this morning. And if you have hurts... Listen, don't, please don't let the fact that there's other people in this room stop you from coming up here and just kneeling at the altar and getting with the Lord. And I'd like to ask our pastors and our elders that are here, if you can just be ready. We're just going to come behind you and lay hands on you. If you want to tell us what's going on, that's great. If you don't, we'll just stand in agreement. But we're just going to worship right now. We're going to sing this last song. And as we do, I just want to encourage you to open up your hearts and let God speak to you again. Let him speak to you again. If you've you've closed it off, if you've made it conditional, if you've been like Jacob and said, "I, I hear your promise, but if you just got to do this first, let that go. And when God speaks to you, be like Joseph and believe it. Believe it because of who said it, not who hears it. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you are our perfect Lord, our perfect Father. And God, I just pray right now, Jesus, for all those in here who are struggling with this God, who have had hurts from family, who have felt forgotten, rejected, alone even. God, remind them who they are in you, that you gave up your son so that we could be your children. And God, if there are those this morning who have never received Jesus as their Savior, who have never said, God, here I am. I want to be part of your family. That right now, God, they would make that choice. It's simple, y'all. You just have to ask. You just have to say, Lord, I believe and I want to be part of your family. You can say that if you're watching online in your room right now. You can say that in your seat if you're here with us. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray for healing. I pray for healed hearts. If you need to just, just come up, if that's you, if you're struggling in any way, then we're going to worship. Thank you, Lord.